Uh, today's message, I want us to take our Bible and turn to the book of James and chapter 1. James chapter 1. We've done a few studies in the book of James, going to do another one. But I, um, I wrote a, a little poem because, and I titled today's message, Tripping Over Troubles. You ever have any troubles? So, no, I've never had one. <laughs> we have them from the day we're born. But there has been times in my Christian life when I thought back about that song. You remember years ago they had a song called, He's been working on me to make me what I ought to be. Da, 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 da. He's still working on me. You, you know the song. How many of y'all heard that song before? Just about everybody in here. Well, I sat down one day at a restaurant after I was having a pity party for myself. If you ever have a pity party? I stopped having them because nobody would come. But uh, turn to your back page, your back page. And I, I wrote a song also called Satan's Been Working on Me. You know, the, the Lord's been working on me to make me what he Well, the devil's been working on me too. So I, I wrote this poem and uh, it goes to the tune of that, uh, that song. Now, I'm not going to sing it to you, but I want to go through the song because it tells you what I'm going to be talking about today and how it can help you. Now, I wrote this some time ago, but I just never, you know, I never put it in print. But I, I wrote it, I don't know, it could have been several years ago. I was down and out the other day, and I didn't have the strength to go God's way. So I changed my shout to a pout, and no friend was there to help me out. I'm so discouraged, woe is me, because Satan's been working on me. Satan's been working on me to make me what I shouldn't be. It makes me so mad I cannot see. The purpose of his working on me. I could criticize to justify defeat. I jumped on everyone I meet. I seem to hurt the ones that I love. People say they care, but no one does. I'm so discouraged. Woe is me. Because Satan's been working on me. You feel like that sometimes? Yeah, you could have wrote this. No one cares if I live or I die. I don't even know why I try. All the good I attempt, I always sin. My whole world is caving in. I'm so discouraged. Woe is me, because Satan's been working on me. Satan is alive on planet Earth. Troubles start from the day of your birth. Victory over Satan is your right, if you walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not discouraged. God's with me, though Satan keeps working on me. Just remember all the while. You're God's protected child. Be not discouraged nor dismayed. The victory in the cross is love displayed. Satan's still working on me, but God has promised victory. All God's children shall prevail to see the devil placed in hell. Now that was a little bit about how I was thinking. I am never always on cloud nine. Every once in a while I take a dip and go down to the valley. And... Um, you know, you couldn't have mountain peaks if there was no valleys. And yea, though I walk through the valley. Sometimes we got to walk through the valley. We're not always on that mountain peak. So you know you're going to have troubles, right? So some people trip over their troubles. Remember, everything can be either a stepping stone or a stumbling block. Depends on how you face something. So anyway, if you look there at your scriptures, James chapter 1. I want to start reading there in verse 13. 
Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And then verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Save your soul here is not talking about how to go to heaven. It's talking about saving your life. How to be delivered from all the troubles that we have. Because God says that um, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. Different troubles and testings that you and I are going to go through. And he tells us how to deal with them. So um, I wrote down a, a few things. I wrote this little quote down. I heard this quote years and years ago. Don't trouble trouble until trouble troubles you. In other words, you don't go looking for trouble. And you try not to start trouble. But are you going to have trouble? You can have trouble with everything. I mean, your job, you can have trouble. Driving the car, it breaks down, you got troubles. And you can marry the most perfect woman in the world, and you're going to have trouble. Why? Because she didn't marry the perfect man. So anything is trouble, trouble, trouble. So you ought to know that. That's what the Bible teaches. So look at the first thing that I have here. And I'll go through these and try to explain them very simply so that um, you get the impact of it. Because everyone sitting in this room right now, you will handle anger one of these four ways. One of these four ways, this is what you're going to do. Because you're going to have trouble, and trouble sometimes causes us to lose our cool. True? And then we get a little angry, and then we get hurt, and then we get bitter, and say things and do things. Every person in the room, this is the book telling us that, yes, you're saved by faith. But we're supposed to um, faith and works in our life. So believing what God says to the believer is supposed to make a difference in our life. And in our life, we got troubles. But if you understand the purpose of the troubles, is to help you to learn to walk with the Lord, trust the Lord, lean on the Lord, and all those things. To go from um, a man who is uh, double-minded unto a mature Christian. You see, the book of James starts off being a double-minded man, or a man that doesn't know, and ends up with the prayers of a Righteous man availeth much. So from a righteous man and a double-minded man is all this that lies in between. So you know where God wants to bring you, and he says you can't get there except this way. So there is a way that God has for us. It's called a course. Like Paul says, I want to finish my course that God has laid out for me. So you are... Coming from a child and a double-minded man and don't know what to do and how to handle things. And then here you go. And God's going to let all these happen. But if you understand the purposes where it's trying to take you to, then it makes some sense. That's why I did not see the purpose of Satan always working on me. But there is a reason. 
So number one, when anger is expressed. Anger expressed immediately is usually explosive and damaging. The solution to a problem is to strike out to hurt someone or something. In other words, it damages somebody else. And so when you are angry, what do you do? You can explode, and if you explode, that means you're short-fused. It means there's a stick of dynamite, and you got a little short fuse, and as soon as you light it, boom, it explodes. And it's kind of like the man that was talking to Billy Sunday one day, and he says, yeah. He said, I got an explosive temper, but he says, but once I explode, I'm fine. He says, a shotgun blast don't last long either, but it sure does a lot of damage. And so you can explode, but your explosion could do a lot of damage. So always remember that. That's why God uses the word long-suffering. What does long-suffering mean? It means long-fused. It means it gives you time to reconsider. You ever heard people say, well, when something goes wrong and you're going to count to 10, you may need to count to 90 or maybe 500. But whatever it takes for you to cool down before you So remember that. Look at the little statement I got here. Learn how to make the most out of your troubles. In other words, it's like, how can I get everything out of this that I'm supposed to get? In other words, you want to milk it for all it's worth to get all the good out of everything that happens to you. Because if God meant it for your good, then there must be some good in there somewhere. And you want to get all the good you can out of it because it can make you a stronger person. Different problems are designed to produce different responses. You see, that's why he says diverse temptations are different kinds of testings. We don't all face exactly the same test at the same time. It's okay for the husband to have his testings and then her to have her testings. But as long as you don't do it at the same time, because the last thing you need is for both to be down at the same time. So one falls, then the other one can pick them up according to the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. Now, there's some other scriptures I have down here for reading. But we don't have time to go through those scriptures. But I want you to, during the week, you to read those verses and apply that. Because you'll find out God got angry. And you know what he was going to do? The Bible says in his, well, his wrath waxed hot within him. And you know what he was going to do with the children of Israel? Kill them all. And God said, Moses, I'll start all over with you and build another nation. He's going to kill them all. And Moses says, you can't do that, Lord. And then Moses got mad. With the same anger God had, he wound up getting mad too. You ought to read that. It's very good. Right there in the book of Exodus 32. And then Numbers 11, you can read some of these scriptures. But look at number two. Uh, number two is, um, is very interesting because it's kind of like something bad happens or someone does something to you and you have a mental isolation. In other words, I teach the kids in the college that people who are in different cults, different various religions, it's amazing how they can compartmentalize things and put, okay, that goes over here in this compartment, and this goes in this compartment. But they contradict each other. But you see, if you don't think about this and this and try to see them, how contrast or the harmony, there isn't, they isolate them. And they can believe something here that's totally in contradiction to this. We believe the Bible. But do we also believe this? We have an extra biblical source of authority. And they don't agree at all. But see, we don't want to think about this and this at the same time. When some things happen in your family, husband, wife, kids, it don't matter, on the job. 
when somebody really doesn't, you can either compart like put it over here as though it never happened. It didn't. It didn't happen. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to accept it. I can just deny it. Have, have you ever seen a drunk? Says, are you drunk? Yes, I am. Do you drink? No. But let me ask that question again. Are you a drunk? Yes, I am. Do you drink? No. You'd be surprised how many can be in denial that they never, no, I never touched the stuff. And they're drunk as a cougar. I've often heard that say, but I've never seen a drunk cougar. But my daddy used to make the stuff. My mom used to haul it, and my sisters, they drank it. <laughs> and I preach against it. But let's look at these notes here. Clam up to prevent feelings, desires, or ideas from being expressed. Not to think about or consider as though it does not exist. Usually these two types of people marry. The one that, boom! And the other one that holds it all in and denies there isn't even a problem. And the one that explodes, don't you see what's going on? Why don't you do something? I don't know what you're talking about. And they want to, I don't want to deal with that. I want, no, 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 no. I've been around people and I said, can I talk to you about it? No, 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 no. Now, I know you don't know anybody like that. And you have, some people, you have to tiptoe around them, like walking on eggshells, because you know if I say this wrong, they'll explode. And so there's some people you don't know how to react around them because you don't know how they're going to respond. You know anybody like that? You say, yes, yeah, me. No. Look at the next statement. Usually these two types of people marry. This type of anger is usually physiological damaging. They fail to face reality, pretending it will just go away. It damages yourself with stress, which can cause physical ailment. You see, how you think can affect your physical health. I'm not saying now everybody's got a physical problem because they're, no, no, it can. And doctors will tell you if you've got this or this, don't be under any stress. Me and Betty used to travel on the road. And you know what the doctor said? She had to go to the doctor. Doctor says, you're just under too much stress, just moving around in places like that, in a motor home, and you on here now. Too much stress. You need to settle down in one place. So we got a church. You talk about stress. <laughs> Before, when I went to different places and spoke, I caused them stress. Now, when you come and take a church, does anybody have problems in a church? Nobody like that here. Then you have a hundred problems. And it can produce a lot of stress. But now, get what we have here. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. There's nothing wrong in getting angry. It's a justifiable anger. But you don't let the anger cause you to commit a sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Me and Betty read that right after we got married. We didn't sleep for the first six months. <laughs> Look at the next one. A fool uttereth all his mind. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Well, you shouldn't give anybody a piece of your mind when you're in most desperate need of it. If you ever seen somebody who's want to make a mountain out of a molehill, what's the difference between a mountain and a molehill? It's, it's uh, just more dirt. Just more dirt. So you have to be very careful. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till after. Till he gets more facts, think things through, and try to make a wise decision. We are all faced with these very same things. These verses in the Bible, I didn't write them, but buddy, if I had to try to 
go buy them. And that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Now, look at the next one. When anger is suppressed, it means to prevent the development, action, or expression of a feeling, impulse, or idea, and so on, to restrain yourself. Now, you know it's there. The pressure's there. But you're containing it, and it could explode at any time. You just don't know when. And so the more you think about something and that pressure builds, next thing you know, is going you may explode not on the person that's wrong or a thing. You can do it with somebody else. You can walk up to somebody and say, how you doing? It's none of your business how I'm doing. <laughs> you think, well, well, all right. And see, it's not what that person did. It's because of something else, and you explode. Now, look at the statement. It means without some satisfactory facts, it will tend to build up uncontrolled pressure. It damages yourself with stress, which can cause physical ailments and emotional distress. So that you know when you don't deal, and it's all built up pressure, and you're going to have problems and problems not dealt with can become pressurized to where somebody, somewhere, is, is going to cause an explosion. Now, there is a way of dealing with everything. God knows all of these things. He's the one that designed these bodies. He knows our minds. He knows what we go through. He knows there's the devil, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. the pride of life. God knows all this stuff. So he gave us a book and says, um, this is what you do. Well... I don't need somebody telling me what I can and cannot do. Yes, we do. God says in the book of Jeremiah, it is not within man that walketh to direct his steps. Because we, we think we know how to handle everything until we have a problem that we can't solve. You ever have a problem you don't know what to do with it? You don't know how to solve it? Well, we have these things happen. Look down at the bottom, the last the paragraph right there before number four. The person will lock it up for the short haul. Like trying to close a suitcase that is too full. Now we're getting ready to go to Israel. Have you ever put all the stuff in a suitcase and then try to close it? It won't close. Betty says, Yankee, lean on that corner. And I get on that corner and mash it down and she's, and we finally get it caught. Now we still got the other one to go. And if you get that one down and then finally get it to snap, what are you going to be afraid of happening? Bam! And whatever happens, happens. But you don't know if it will or will if it hold or if it's going to explode. Now, there's people like that who hold things in. And they can even give the appearance that they're cool and calm. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me. And then all of a sudden, it bothered them. And they quietly build up this pressure. And it's only a while. But sooner or later, it's going to explode. And sometimes you'll be the recipient of that, of somebody else's anger. They got somebody else. It can happen because we're all guilty of how do we solve this pressure problem that builds up in our lives. Uh, look at the next statement here. Sometimes an innocent person becomes the recipient of uncontrolled explosions. And you get hurt because you're just with that, which caught when the explosion took place. How do you handle this explosion? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look down at number four. The Bible has a great verse for all of God's children. 
you need to know it's in here because it's like a little relief valve. It's a way to, you know, let some of the pressure out. And so I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John in your Bible. And notice this. You see, once you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're his child. You're going to heaven when you die. But we're not there yet. So God says, between now and then, I want you to walk with me. Uh, God says, I want you to spend time with me, and I, I want to teach you some things as we go through life together. So after I trust the Lord, it's just it's me and the Lord, me and the Lord. We're walking through life together. And my heavenly Father wants to teach me, his child, how to be like him. And so the more time I spend with the Lord, the more you're going to be like the one you hang around. If you hang around people that pull you down, you're going to be pulled down. If you hang around people that will help build you up, you're going to be built up. Because, you see, most people are not any stronger than the friends they have. So be careful what kind of friends you have. You want people that can lift you up, encourage you, and help you in the right direction. So you and the Lord, you stay close to the Lord, He will teach you things nobody else can teach you. Now, He can use people to teach you, but it cannot eliminate. No one can walk the spiritual walk for you. Nobody else can walk with God for you. There's no substitution here. You have to learn how to walk with the Lord. So look what he says here in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Now, very seldom do you find the words in the Bible about having this relationship. That's relationship. You hear fellowship, fellowship. Because, you see, your relationship, biblical-wise, is based upon your birth. When you're born into God's family, you are his child. He is your father. And all those who trust Christ as Savior are the children of God. So we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And because of that, God wants us to have fellowship. And if we have fellowship, our fellowship can't be any closer than the fellowship you have between you and God. See, if you're not right between you and God, you won't be right with the fellowship. So what is fellowship? Two fellows in a ship, hopefully going in the right direction. Now, guess what he says here? It truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So does God want me to have, now remember this, relationship based upon birth, but fellowship is based upon your walk with the Lord. Am I, in my Christian life, I've been saved on 57 years, is walking with the Lord. I'm going to walk with Him. So my walk with the Lord can be a wonderful thing, a sweet thing. But God says, now, if you say you're walking with me, and you're doing this and this and this, and this then you're not walking with Him. He says, you lie and do not the truth. And if we say, and we can say anything, that doesn't make it true. So God lays it down how, to you, how you can know when you are walking with the Lord. So the book of 1 John is about a Christian having fellowship with the Lord. Now look what he says here in verse 4. Because if you have fellowship with the Lord and you're walking with the Lord, then it's easy for you to have fellowship with others who are walking with the Lord. So he says in verse 4, and these things... Write we unto you that your what? Joy may be full. So we're not talking about how to get to heaven. We're talking to God's children who are already going to heaven. It says we haven't got there yet. So God tells us how we're to get along before we get there. So then in verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you, and God is light, and him is no darkness at all. In other words, 
God does not walk in the dark. God does not walk in the flesh. God is the light. And if we walk in the light, then me and God can have good communion between us, fellowship. And he says in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. In other words, look up here. My first birth is darkness. That means it's away from God. It's an old sinful nature, and it's the flesh, and it's not right with God. God said, I need a new birth. So when I trusted Christ, my Savior, he gave me a new birth. Light, darkness. Now I've got these two births. As a child of God, I can walk in the dark, or I can walk in the light. God has fellowship with me when I walk in the light. But when I walk in the flesh, then I've got a problem. You see, God doesn't restore my walk. I'm the one who walked in the flesh, and I'm the one that has to correct my walk. Now, I can confess to the Lord, Lord, I'm walking in the flesh. And God said, he is faithful and just to forgiveness. And now your walk can be restored when you restore your walk. The fellowship can be restored. So it's not that I just confess my sins and now I'm in fellowship with God. No, not until you restore the walk. You don't restore the walk. You don't have fellowship restored. So he makes a statement here in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continually keeps you clean. Now, look what he says in verse 9. This verse is something that is a special verse for God's children on how to relieve all the pressures of life. Because, you see, guilt in your life builds up pressure. And it can become like a yoke of iron until it destroys you. That's what guilt does. But if you do what God says do, you can take things to the Lord, casting all your cares upon him, and trust the Lord to walk you through. But walk with the Lord through it. But get what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is to the Christian who's walking in the flesh. He can correct the problem by admitting the problem and going to the Lord and accepting God's forgiveness because God is just and faithful and he has to. He has to forgive his children because, see, he's already paid for their sins. And because sins had been paid, I never have to worry about going to hell because he paid the penalty of my sin. But if you want to have this fellowship between you and the Lord, then you'll have to correct the walk. And you can walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit, but it's your choice. And God says, if we confess our sin, then God is like a release valve that relieves that pressure. Now, when people wrong you, is anybody ever going to wrong you? Yes, they are. Now, what are you going to do? I told people it's like this. I go fishing with my $5 lure, and I've done this. Throw it out there, and lo and behold, it's hung on the bottom. Now, don't that beat all. Lord, would you... And I'm, now what am I going to do? I can't get it loose. I can sit here with this for the rest of my life. Or I can cut my losses, right? And go on and get me another, <laughs> I need to do it again. Hopefully be a little bit smarter the next time. Maybe a different lure. But you can learn from every experience that you go through. And God will bless you. So look down there at number four. 
When anger is confessed, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now get this, I put it in bold for you. When we confess our sins to the Lord, we have a way to vent unhealthy pressures from our own life. But you see, if you don't do that and come clean between you and the Lord, it's pressure that will build up until you explode. And you don't know when it's going to happen. But chances are it will, and it can affect you physically. It can affect you, how you think, mentally, socially, every way. Next thing you know, you can have all kinds of diseases because, you see, the mind has a lot to do with the body. Now look at the top of the next page. If we are the source or cause of someone else's anger... Asking forgiveness is the key to reducing their pressure to respond in an unchristian way. And it helps to remove the pressure caused by guilt in your own life. So is confession good for your soul? According to the Bible, it's pretty good. And it can make you feel a whole lot better. At these words, I'm sorry, or I was wrong. Those are some of the hardest words to say in the whole English language. Because we never like to admit it was not my fault, even if it was my fault. That's why I never try to remember anything, because having a wife like I got, why should two people remember everything? <laughs> now, look at the top of the next page. What do you do when you get mad or filled with anger? What do you do? You say, well, I never get mad. Lying, 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 lying. And no, that's a sin, too. Now look at the next statement. Follow peace with all men and holiness, which without no man shall see the Lord. In other words, your goal is to always try to be peaceful. You always want to try to solve things. Not create things, but solve. And then he says here, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many become defiled. You can let God use you, are you going to let the devil use you? But you're going to be used. Either God's going to get glory out of your life, <laughs> or the devil is. Is devil working on you? He's been working on me to make me what I shouldn't be. But anyway, look at the next statement. Will you hit something or someone, scream or hold it in so nobody knows? But you will do something. You handle pressure certain ways. And you'd be surprised how it can really affect the stability of your mind emotionally. It can rob you of your peace, your joy, your encouragement, your confidence. It, it just drains you of energy. Look at this statement, the very next statement. Anger is a form of great energy. You can use it to correct, build, or destroy it also dispenses energy quickly, which may leave you totally exhausted mentally and physically. Have you ever had to try to solve something and notice that it will totally, it can drain you emotionally and physically, mentally, and you can be so tired and just give out. And you ain't done anything physically. It's just pressure building up. And it can cause it between husband and wife, with the kids, grandparents, people which you work with, people in church. It can happen at any time because we're all sinful individuals. we got an old sinful nature. We cross one another. We hurt one another. We offend each other. But if you don't learn how to deal with it, you're going to let things build up inside of you. And you talk about pressure. 
And you'll, in your mind, you might think, this is the right thing to do. No, God says, confess it to the Lord, and he can relieve the pressure. And you can keep walking with the Lord because you're doing it the way God says to do it. Remember that. Look at the next statement. The word remember. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. James 1.19, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When you get angry and you work the wrath of man, that's not working the righteousness. That's not how God says to do things. Look at the next statement. The good Lord gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we speak. This man told me one day, he says, I haven't spoken to my wife in five years. I says, why? He says, well, she hasn't stopped yet. You say, where'd that come from? I don't know. He just comes in. Look at the next statement in bold. If you speak before you put your brain in gear, you will probably make the best speech you will ever regret. I'm going to read that again because I know some of y'all did not get the importance of that. If you speak before you put your brain in gear, you will probably make the best speech you will ever regret. Isn't it true that in sometime in a fit of anger, you say things you wish you hadn't said? You say, I don't know. I've never done that. God bless you, Mr. Perfection. What a drunk says when he is drunk is probably what he thinks when he's sober. Be careful. Be careful. Have you ever seen somebody when they really get um, in a good argument, a good fight with somebody, they'll say things to bring them back. You remember 10 years ago you said this and you thought she forgot all of that and she never forgot it. She was just storing up them hand grenades. She was just waiting. She was saving up because she was ready for war. She knows war's coming. So I often tell people, I says, no, what you got to remember is this. Picture a little pyramid here. And this is your goal to the Lord. And when you start out on the bottom, you know, you just get married. Oh, I did this for her. Oh, she did this for me. And I did this good thing for her. And she did this for me. And so we just, oh, this is wonderful. We just love each other. Now you start on the next row. And this is, and then she did this, and then she did this to me. Well, I'll do that to her. And then she did this to me. Well, I'll do that to her. And then we're going to try the next row. And now you're going to try to build on the foundation that's not very solid. Because when you start getting a little bit higher, and then it gets a little bit nearer because you're learning each other. You're finding out what to do. I always told people when I get ready to marry them, I said, look, uh, uh, marriage is, you, you find out what really irritates them and avoid it. And so they know that when they get married and they really get, they find out what irritates them and then do it. <laughs> After a while, you know what it takes to, you know, keep somebody off. And you just love watching them lose control. And sit back and just watch. Now, now, when you go down here and you take all these bad building blocks and you know you're fixing to have a, an all-out war, you pull that one out there and you cast that hand grenade. Woo! Got him right between the eyes. And he pulls out this one over here and he throws that one. And he went back and forth. And you know what? That's things that have happened but never been dealt with, never corrected, never. Well, you saved up all that ammunition because you didn't want peace. You were planning for war. And you just want to save up all that ammunition. Yeah, I did that to you five years ago. But you remember 10 years before that? There's a price to pay. Now look at the statement here. When trouble is brewing, keep still. Slow to wrath. Remember, slow to wrath. 
when slander is stewing, when feelings are hurt, when you cannot control your words, action, or attitude, wait until you have recovered from your source of irritation. One of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering. In other words, learn to suffer. Somebody wrongs you. So what? You can't make everything right in this old world. Because you're going to do some things wrong and you're not going to be able to. Because people move on. I probably offended people when I was a teenager. I ain't seen them since. But I ain't looking for them either. The next statement, it means to be long-fused. Give yourself time to reflect honestly before God. To be short-fused means to explode quickly. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the practical godliness that develops in your life. So I um, just wrote this down here. Moving from a double-minded man to a righteous man. And so all the troubles of life and the pressure that builds up, God can use all those things to push you to him so that you'll learn to get close to the Lord, so that you can learn how to forgive, how to deal with things, how to con- what to confess to the Lord, call things what they are. And God says, walk in the light as he is in the light. And he says, happy is the man who does this. But if you don't do it the way God says do it and you let things build then you're not going to have the peace or the love, the joy that you're supposed to have. I've often told the college kids this, you've got to serve the Lord like you have never been hurt. Because if you don't, you'll never be able to serve the Lord. Why? Because things and people and even God at times is going to hurt you. Because God will allow things to happen to you. And it seems like he's made no way of escape. But he says in his word, God is faithful. And will not allow you to be tempted. Above that, you're able, but will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, we fail because we choose to fail. It's a choice of ours. Or you can learn to trust the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't have an only answer. I'm just going to trust you. You work it out, Lord. Now, if you can work it out, work it out. If you can't, then let it go. Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, he says, you defraud one another. He says, so be it. Allow yourself to be frauded. Allow people to do you wrong because they are. What are you going to do? Go through mad all the time? You can be mad at everybody. The statement down here, James 1, God has a purpose in the trials and the testings. So you learn how to learn. You're learning how to learn. And you need patience. for that. That's what it teaches. Tribulation worketh patience. In James chapter 1 also, swift to hear. Swift to hear means patience. Listen to what God's word has to say. Listen. Slow down. Be swift to hear, but slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Slow. Slow down. The next one, slow to speak. Because James chapter 3 talks about the tongue. James chapter 4, slow to wrath. Because there's even people who prayed but they were warred and fighting within each other. He says, no, 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 no. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. And in James chapter 5, he talks about the power of patience and refers to, don't you remember a guy named Job? Look what happened to Job and the patience of Job. And he says, look what happened to him in the long run. In the long run, God blessed him and gave it all back to him. So in your life, there's times when you're going to lose a lot of things. 
And it may not be none of your fault. But just trust the Lord and he can give everything back to you and more. But don't jump the gun. Don't take matters into your own hand. Look to the Lord and trust him. You got trouble with your husband or your wife, your kids, whatever. Talk to the Lord and just try to do all the right you know to do. And trust the Lord to walk you through whatever it may be. These things are so important. Now, I want to mention something else to you. I want you to look up here. Because I want you to learn the most important thing in all the world. You're not going to live long enough to solve all the problems of mankind. That ain't going to happen. But God has solved one of the biggest problems man has. And that's where does he go when he dies? And I'm so thankful that my father-in-law explained this to me 57 and a half years ago. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We've all got sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us to pay for sin, the wage of sin is death, is eternal separation from God. It means to be separated from God forever. And there's nothing you can do about it except believe in what Christ did about it. Let me show you. To go to heaven, we've got to be perfect, and we're not. So God says you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into this world because God loves us. So he sent his son who never committed a sin so he didn't have to die. We have a problem. And people are going to church trying to give money, all these things, trying to relieve the pressure of all this guilt they have, hoping they'll be good enough to go to heaven one day. And God says, it won't help. There's only one way. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he took all of our sins, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And God says, when you believe he did that for you, he puts this payment to your account, and you get to go to heaven on what he did. You don't earn it, you don't work for it, you don't buy it. It's the gift of God. You'd be surprised how much pressure that took off of me the day that I heard this message. I literally stood there in the living room, and I bawled like a baby. I, I didn't go to church. I was in a living room. My mom and dad, I never saw them in a church. I never saw them with a Bible in our home. And I never heard them ever pray. We didn't do anything like that. But my father-in-law did. And he told me this good news. I stood there and I bawled. I deep sobbed. I didn't know you were supposed to or not do it. That's just what happened to me. But all those tears did not save me. I had to believe he did it for me. So when I believe that he did this for me, he put that payment to my account, and I know I have eternal life. I'm going to heaven. Why? Because of what Christ did. It's not because of what I've done. I am a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. But God loved me. He loved me so much, he sent his son to pay for my sins. Why am I going to heaven? Because I don't have any sins to pay for. Because somebody paid it for me. How many did he pay for? He paid for all of them. I don't have one sin to pay for. He paid for all of my sins. That's how I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And that's the best news I ever heard in my life. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him right now? Just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe that when Christ died, he died on that cross and paid for my sins. And friend, God said, if you'll believe he did it for you, he would save you, give you eternal life, and you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. If you're watching by internet, the only thing you have to do, well, it's the only thing you can do. Would you trust Jesus Christ to take you to heaven? He paid for your sins so that you could go, but you have to accept it. Would you believe it? 
And if you trust him right now, he saves you right now, gives you eternal life right now. In the auditorium, if you have never trusted the Lord, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to do anything to you. I just want to ask right where you're sitting if what I said made sense to you. And if it made sense to you and you say, yes, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. I'm going to ask you if you'll just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down. Say, pray for me. I will trust Christ as my Savior this morning. Anyone at all? Is there anyone at all? Say, yes, that made sense to me. I want to be certain of going to heaven. Anyone at all? You that have already trusted Christ as Savior, yes, God bless you. You that have trusted Christ as your Savior, do you have anything between you and the Lord that needs to be dealt with? Talk to the Lord about it. Because this is so important. Because, you see, if you take communion and things are not right between you and the Lord, the Bible says because they were not right, they did not examine themselves, and they did not confess what they should have, and determine to serve the Lord and understand what it was about. He says some were sick, some were weak, and some were dead. And that's because they partook of the Lord's Supper, and they should not have done so. It's a serious thing. You make sure things are right between you and the Lord. And then you are able to partake of the Lord's Supper because you know you're right between you and Him. I pray so. Father, we ask your blessings upon all that you've done for us. We pray, Lord, for each person here and for the one indicating that they would trust your Savior. And Father, for those that are watching by the Internet, we pray, Lord, that what we've said would also be a blessing. Thank you for this time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.